Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio today. We are delighted to have you with us. We have a very interesting show, and Pam Eggleston is joining me today as co-host. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Just fine, thank you. We are going to talk today about a subject that people don't often want to talk about, are afraid to talk about, but it's incredibly important, and I'm a big believer in shining the light on things that need discussion. We're going to be talking about military and civilian teen suicide and addiction today, about the danger signs, why there is this national crisis that we have going on, um, and why depression, addiction, and suicide in teens and young adults is increasing. So we have joining us today Sandy Fowler, who is a mom uh, who discovered her own daughter was in crisis when she was friends and working with Judy Davis, a, a very wonderful mill spouse that we've had on the program before. And they now go around the country talking to groups about the dangers, the risks, the, the things to keep an eye on so that our children don't fall between the cracks. And Sandy, I will let you tell your story, and we are delighted to have you on here. Welcome to Military Network Radio. Linda, thank you so much for asking me to be on the show today. I am really honored to be able to discuss this difficult but important topic with you. Well, I agree. It's a very tough topic, but if we don't talk about it, we're not going to make headway and to help parents and friends understand some of the stressors. And I'd love it if you could just tell me your tell our, our audience, please, our your story about how Dazium came to come about and how you and Judy and Jeffrey came together. Oh, that was okay. My story actually comes in after the beginning of uh, what has turned into Dacium in okay. the sense that Judy and Jeffrey Davis, in fact, some of your listeners may know Judy Davis. She's known in the military community as the Direction Diva. Exactly. And her son, Jeffrey, had struggled with depression, addiction, and he attempted suicide. And he moved past that. Their family moved past that. He's been in recovery and is doing very well. But he wanted to help other people. He wanted other young adults to know that there is another answer. Suicide isn't the answer that you can get relief that, you know, there's a way to live without the depression and the addiction. And so he went to Judy and said, you know, I want to do this. And Judy went, okay, well, the best way to reach a lot of people is to put it, you know, turn it into kind of a business, you know, start sharing the story and putting it out there that you're available to speak and things. So they did that. And the response was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's such such a necessary topic and there's so many people who are hurting so part of of course doing that as a business is giving people resources I and Judy and I were already business partners and good friends so I started working with Judy and Jeffrey as they wrote a book it's called warning signs is your teenager at risk for depression addiction and suicide 
my story comes in from reading the book and working on it with them and editing is that I realized that my daughter, my oldest daughter, Emma, was actually at risk. And so reading the book, it was, I had known some things were going on, but it helped me, well, it gave me the courage to take off my blinders and admit it because you ladies know this is, this is difficult. I mean, even if your kid's just sick with a cold or a virus or something, it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the realm of something like this, that is mental health that most of us aren't familiar with, we don't know what resources are available, how to go about it. I think a lot of times as parents, we're afraid to go there. So in working on the book, it gave me that courage to kind of take off the blinders as well as seeing steps I could take to work with her. And so we've done that. Um, she was, has been depressed with um, depression. I've been depressed. She has been diagnosed with depression. She had anxiety attacks. She had been cutting and she also, she's in therapy and she took some time off school and she's doing well and going back to college and you know, moving forward with her life now with new tools and new skills for dealing with the difficult things. So we love this idea of getting conversations going, doing things like you ladies are doing today. And of course, yes, Jeffrey and Judy and I, and now Emma do go around the country and speak in parent-child teams so that we can, we can connect with both the parents and their teens or young adults. That's wonderful. I, I know that in my area where I live, we have an unusually high teen suicide rate. The addiction and depression is high. There are full schools where they almost boast of 60% of our children are on antidepressants. I find that so upsetting, which is one of the reasons we wanted to do a program on this growing epidemic. I think so often there is a myth, and let's dispel that myth today. Talking about these issues does not cause them to happen. It actually helps dissuade people from happening. It provides an outlook for alternatives, and it says it's okay to feel some of these feelings, but there is a better way to dealing with it than a very final solution. And so that is why we are going to talk about this, not only in uh, the general population, but also bring it down to the military population, because there are some unusual stressors in the military family space that teens and young adults experience. And I wonder if you could speak to that just you know, briefly, and then we'll go back to a more general discussion. Yeah, Linda, I, first I just want to say, I want to go back for just a minute and address what you said, that speaking mm-hmm. about these things isn't the issue. And you're so right. And Judy, Jeffrey, Emma and I, we are not therapists. We are not psychiatrists. We are not medical experts. And we do not dispense any medical advice. And so that was actually something that made me nervous at first. And I had heard that said by people, but I needed to know that that was the truth. So I went and I searched and I found where the experts, the psychiatrists, the doctors have said they've looked at it and talking about these things does not put the idea in your head, you know, in your child's head or in another teenager's head. So yes, the conversation is important and we don't have to be afraid to bring it up. So that's really huge. And, and as you said, in your area, you you have such a huge problem. So I, again, appreciate your heart space for, for this topic. 
Well, thank you. The, the other thing I, I want us to talk about as you go further along in the program is the fact that teens are very influenced by their peers. And so I, I don't want to say that suicide or addiction, um, even depression, is contagious. But in some ways, it does allow a teen who is going through a lot of growth, uh, hormones, um, a lot of gaining new experiences, uh, going through new experiences, and maybe feeling uncomfortable, to look at an alternative they may never have thought about before, which is also why talking about these things is so very important. It sheds light. It makes it okay to talk about and that's what you and Jeffrey and uh, Judy have been finding out. The more you talk, and I'm sure with Emma as well, the more you talk about it, the more people are talking about their concerns, the early signs. Is it your hope that Dacium will be able, and your talking, will be able to take this at an earlier stage so it doesn't quite get to that crisis point? Yes, that is one of our hopes, and that actually... It ties back into your wanting to talk about the military community. So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about both of those a little bit. But All right. you mentioned that the military community and the stressors. Mm-hmm. We know some of the common stressors, right? The first thing everybody thinks of is deployment, which is incredibly difficult in so many ways for families. Even aside from deployment, though, military life is a, a difficult situation. It includes other major stressors. Moving is one of the major Mm -hmm. life events that creates the most stress. And that's something that happens frequently for a military family. Social situations. We know that, and we've known for many years, that teens who are socially removed and uh, maybe socially marginalized have the highest risk for suicide. Mm -hmm. Being the new kid in school can be difficult as you move, you lose those friends. So these are all things for parents. You know, we know this. You know, we need to be aware of it and to, to try to help our kids through, as we always do. But another thing to watch out for is, I know it's very easy when we move as parents to say, well, you can keep in touch with your friends on Facebook, and you can keep in touch <laughs> with your friends on social media. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. Don't get me wrong. But social media is actually one of the things that can create stress. And it's a big cause of stress and depression in our teenagers' lives. And so as the military community, and you know, I think social media is a much larger part of the military community than it is of the civilian community. And it can be a great tool, but it's one of those things, again, of talking to your kids and teaching them how to use it as a tool and how to use it positively. And we can do that now, Linda, Pamela. Sure. Would you guys like to talk a little about social media before um, we get into a little bit more on military-specific numbers there? We or- can, but we have only one minute before the break. So let's start it, and we'll continue it after the break. Okay. Well, pretty simply is uh, – Judy actually puts it great. She says that a social media page is comparing your real life to somebody else's highlight reel. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great way to put it with kids. And again, I am not a psychiatrist or an expert, but I know I've talked to my kids that way and it seems to make sense to them. If I don't go on and on and on, but just go, remember, they're showing you their highlights right. and you're comparing yep. that to 
all the difficulties. It's kind of like where I go into my friends' houses to visit or I go to someone's house for a party and it's beautiful and it's sparkling <laughs> clean. And then I compare it to ours when everybody's trying to race out the door and working different shifts and the dinner dishes are sitting around. That's not fair. Ours right. is clean when we have people over too. <laughs> right. No, I'm going to stop you there and, and just let our listeners know that we are talking today about the warning signs and the real epidemic of teen suicide addiction, depression, and suicide attempts. Or what did I just say? Depression and... (laughs) I'll get it right when we come back. (laughs) At any rate, thank you so much for listening to Military Network Radio. We will be right back and talking with Sandy Fowler. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Sacred Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velocity is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom in ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's Whenever we hear a recording of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. I honestly wish you could be with us on the breaks because we cover so much information that we want you to know. So we're going to bring back a little bit. Uh, We were talking prior to the break about the fact that military kids have stressors 
that are not common in the civilian field, although they are to a certain degree. And one of those is not impacting their parent or parents' career choices. So, Sandy, let's start with that, and then we'll move through a number of other questions and issues. Yeah, that is an enormous stressor for kids in the military community. As you said, you know, kids in the civilian community have some commonality with stressors that the military kids do, but this is really a pretty unique area. There aren't that many kids in the civilian community who are concerned about impacting their parents' careers. And the also, again, we mentioned the idea of deployment in that making sure everything's good on the home front so that your soldier can focus on what they need to do. It's important, and we all understand why that needs to happen. But what it also means is that on the home front, we need to be extra vigilant with our teens and young adults. You know, and I think when we talk about teens and young adults, we talk about that again in the military community. Those age ranges come down. Mm-hmm. You know, most people say a teenager, and in the military community. Kids who are preteens end up with more similar stress at a younger age. Well, you're talking about kids being put in a role that is not age appropriate. They're carrying too much responsibility. And if you put a group of military kids together with and young teens, preteens, tweeners, you find that they've heard things like, you'll be the man in the family now, mm-hmm. or help your mother because blah, blah, blah. Um, it's very important. So a lot of responsibility. And what does that do for that teen? Well, again, it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of responsibility paired with the idea that they need to suck it up, keep it in, you know, don't let it out. So as parents, as loving family members, friends, community members, what we need to do is Talk to these kids and teach them healthy coping strategies for those stresses. Obviously, yes, we want to be careful about what stress we place on them. But the fact is, is that we can't remove it all. We mm-hmm. can't prevent them from becoming stressed. So it's actually, especially from the outside, giving them a place that they can vent, that they can be a kid, that they can go to. And because I know Linda and Pam, you guys have you know listeners who are in the military community, but you also have people who are associated with it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have a great way of doing that. Now, I'm I'm not military, but I have been best friends with Judy and her family since Judy and I met in college. We actually knew each other longer than our husbands, and we're both married 25 years this year. So, <laughs> I've Good had job. yeah, I, I'm familiar with it, and I know what it is to be that outside piece, and you can be a place that the families can go, the kids can go, that lets them blow off steam, where they don't have to be the man of the house. They don't have to be the helpful daughter. They don't have to be the peacemaker. You know, just literally tell them, if you need someplace to go and just blow off steam and scream, come to me. But also start teaching them about healthy coping skills. Teach them about taking care of themselves, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. using exercise to relieve stress. Find them a place where they can talk to somebody and let those things out. And inside, outside the community, when our kids express concern and stress, acknowledge their feelings without judgment. And if they're old enough, start asking them, encouraging them to solve the problem. Just ask questions like, I, I hear what you're saying and I can understand how that's really hard for you. Do you have any thoughts on how that could be different or what we may be able to do differently? And 
open those lines of communication, open the conversations. Them knowing they can talk to somebody without judgment is huge, huge when it comes to preventing problems and preventing especially large problems like depression, addiction, suicide. Absolutely. And first of all, we should probably state for our listeners that we're not here to be alarmist and say that every teen or young adult is at risk, at at high risk, I should say. We are here to say that there are some warning signs. There are some opportunities to engage in discussions and acknowledge the stressors, as you just said. Let's go back to one of the basic questions. Who is at risk? Yeah, for... you actually hit on a really interesting point there, Linda, when you said at risk, and they said, well, not at high risk. Right. And it depends on how you define at risk. Mm-hmm. So there are two things that we at Dacium want people to know. One is not to become, you know, warning sign police, not to mm-hmm. make yourself a basket case, but to take off the blinders and realize that there is no geographic, ethnic, or socioeconomic right. boundary around this. Mm-hmm. It could be any kid. It could be the socially marginalized kid. It could be the kid that you look at that is the most popular one in school. It could be the kid who is, you know, on honor roll and doing all the activities. It could be any child. So mm-hmm. just be aware that that's the case and that we should just listen to our kids and open communication, as I said, non-judgmentally, because everybody needs that. Every adult, every child, every teenager needs that in their life. You, you bring up an excellent point. When we talk about uh, adult military uh, suicidal ideation, etc., we talk about connection and communication and belonging. As those three things making such a difference, would you say that those are still the same three things in the youthful community? I think it is. And one thing that I have heard and over and over and over in casual conversation, in listening to our teens and young adults when they're speaking, when they share their stories, it's that judgment piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important for everybody, but I think it's more important for teenagers and young adults because they are not fully adults yet. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the adults in their life do tend to judge more and to put off the things that were stressors or concerns for them and go, well, that's not a big deal, or you should be able to handle that, or just do this. Well, I have a question for you. I, I know that you know most parents do talk to their children about the dangers of drug addiction or alcohol abuse. Um, they talk to them about keeping company with friends that are healthy, wholesome, et cetera. But we all know that that can be a mask and not the right um, outward picture as to what's happening inside. Are there things, and I'm presuming that this is what happened when you were reading the book with Emma uh, about the risk and, and Emma, is that there were things that you saw. What we want to avoid, I imagine, is this huge overwhelm, you know, and, and helicoptering. I'm afraid that's what we have seen in our own community where the community comes together, but right now it's in a state that is not healthy for the rest of the families who are possibly concerned. So where is that healthy balance about being aware and, and being concerned? Being aware is 
in my mind. It's simply noticing. And, and as a mom, as a parent, you generally do tend to notice what's happening in your house. But noticing when things change with your child, that's actually more of the warning sign piece. Mm -hmm. so, but what you asked me about, Linda, is you're, you're looking for that healthy balance of how not to hover. Is that? Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, it is. And, and it's a challenge. One thing is, as you said earlier, don't freak yourself out about this. We are not here telling you that every child, in, you know, every person listening has a child who is going to end up addicted to drugs, alcohol, food, cutting, thrill-seeking behavior. We are not telling you that they're all going to attempt suicide. All we're saying is we need to start being more aware of our culture, of the stressors. Mm -hmm. So one thing about not hovering is, as I mentioned before, to open those lines of communication in a way where you're not lording yourself over your child. You're saying, mm -hmm. wow, I noticed that. What do you think about it? And treating them as the adult they want to be in the sense that you're opening up conversation and asking their ideas and their opinions and let them solve stuff and let them make mistakes, let them fail. Don't, I think the helicoptering comes in when we think we can protect them from the world. <laughs> right. Right. And can we do that, ladies? I mean, is that even possible? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, that's not. So if we can accept that and go, I'm better off, instead of trying to protect them, I'm better off strengthening them, helping them build their skills by letting them do. And it starts with that conversation and going, how would you solve this? What could you do? And if they can't come up with ideas, go, let's brainstorm. And don't tell them what to do. Help them to come up with ideas, you toss out ideas, write them all down, and they go, well, what sounds good to you? Now, Sandy, yeah, I, I, step back. I think, Sandy, that's pretty much um, empowerment and resilience. Yes, you know, it's exactly we, is, what it is. You know, which is, uh, you know, used in the military space where you want to empower people um, to be uh, in charge, even though they're not quite adults yet, of their own destiny. And that makes people feel better. That makes you, I believe, I mean, this is, there's no scientific, um, you know, uh, support to my next statement, which is maybe perhaps not be less depressed and be less addicted you know, to just continue with that empowerment. But that hovering piece is, I, man, I see it. And it's it's all about, I want my child to be perfect. And, they're, and, and people are, and the children are saying, we're not, we're human. So I think yes. that this is just, you know, an outpouring of that. Yeah, except what you just said, Pamela, they are human. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. Love them anyway. Right. And just keep working on that. Um, teach through love. And Dr. G, Dr. Deborah Gilboa, there are two great resources for parents to just learn more about how do I create resilient kids? How do I non-judgmentally love my kid but help them grow strong? Beautiful. I, I think what you're coming up with um, as the underlying foundation of all of this is open communication with no judgment, thereby leaving the door open to further discussions down the road. We're going to be taking a short break now, and we will be back with Sandy Fowler of Dacium talking about depression, addiction, and suicide in the military family and in the civilian world as well. And we will be back right after these short messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. 
study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you glean from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're talking with Sandy Fowler, and we're going to continue our discussion about the additional stressors for teens and young adults in the in the um, military space. So, Sandy, would you continue to address more of that, please? Yes, Linda. This is this is such an interesting area. As we said, you know, there are deployment, there's moving, there's the social media, there are the parents' careers, and and I know people can sit back and wonder and go. Well, it seems like that would be worse, but is it really worse in the military community? So what you need to do is go to the numbers. By education, I'm a statistician, so I'm all about numbers and (laughs) what's happening. And when you do that, what you see is that these stressors actually do impact the kids. So first of all, just out in in the uh, U.S. as a totality, we have seen that suicide for teens and young adults has moved up from the third leading cause of death to the second leading cause. It has surpassed homicide. So uh. you hear all these things about, you know, kids shooting kids and gangs and all of that. And everybody's worried about those numbers going up. Well, suicide is increasing faster. And uh. when you look at it, what you see is um, in the numbers, we talk about depression, right? 20% of teenagers will experience depression before reaching adulthood. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the military community, then that number jumps up to 25%. Okay. So those extra stressors make a difference. They're affecting our kids. They're causing them to be depressed. And when kids are depressed, all they really want is relief from that pain, from the emotional pain. Again, when you go to the experts, they will tell you that, in fact, we just put up a video on the, our Dacium page on Facebook. Um, a, a doctor did a video, and he talked about the brain and how emotional pain 
fires off in the exact same space as physical pain in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So our kids start looking for relief. One of the places kids are finding that is in prescription drugs. And when we talk about drug addiction, many of us have this stereotype in our head of the kid who's living on the streets, who's totally strung out and in just kind of, you have this, what does a drug addict look like? And in this day and age, what we're finding is what the drug addict looks like is the typical teenager because prescription drugs are so prevalent. And again, this is a place where the military community needs to be very vigilant. And this is something you can do that's not a hovering thing. You can do it in a protective way. If you have medication in your house, only keep current medications there and keep an eye on them because the kids are using prescription medications. They're getting them from the parents' cabinets, from the grandparents, and even for themselves. Nowadays, when, when I was a kid and we got our wisdom teeth put, taken out, and, and when I'm talking about surgically removed, my doctor prescribed Motrin 3. Mm-hmm. Now they prescribe things that are addictive, right? They prescribe opiate painkillers. And our kids take that. And if they were in emotional pain already and they take that drug and they go, oh, my gosh, it took my pain away. And they're not talking about the pain in their mouth. So suddenly they're looking for this way of finding relief. And we need to keep track of those things. You make such an interesting point. I recently heard a a parent talking about the fact that they were um, looking at new houses in the area and their son wanted to go with them. Well, it turns out he was going through the medicine cabinets of the homes that they went through. And that's how he was yes. obtaining the drugs. No. And so, yes, and it's very interesting. You don't even think of those wow. things. So keeping your ears open to those kinds of things is extremely important. Um, I and think having that, the conversations. You know, right. you, I, I applaud you for this because nobody wants to really talk about it. Right. And I right. understand wanting to keep things out of the media when we're afraid that we're going to create cluster problems, which we can talk about, too, because we sure. talked about a little during break. But, yeah, this I just want to make sure and we can move on. But I want to just one last time point out this uh, prescription drug issue, because children affiliated with the military are 50 percent more likely than peers to report substance abuse issues. Oh, my. OK. 50 percent. So, again, as a parent, the conversation isn't don't do drugs. The conversation might be tonight at dinner that you sit down and go, oh my gosh, I was listening to this radio show. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about kids who are stressed or emotionally in pain were using prescription drugs to relieve it. Guys, you know, do you find that you're stressed? Do you have ways to handle that stress? And then teach them healthy coping skills. Teach them about movement and exercise. And if they need someone to talk to, get them. And if they need a professional to talk to, take them. You know, Sandy, I've got to break in here because I know several cases um, where the parents took the child to the doctor. And the doctor said, no, no, you're too young for depression and you're too young for suicidal ideation. And I wonder if you have had experience with the medical community not being as in tune as they could be to these issues of addiction and depression. Depression, I think, is more common, um, but the addiction 
and the alcohol use, but the suicidal ideation, I find that the medical field often seems to be behind the eight ball on this one. What do you find? I have been very fortunate personally Mm -hmm. to have had great medical help in our area. Our, our family doctor was very receptive when my daughter went in for a physical, of course, you know, she, what's, what are these scars? Mm. And she was extremely helpful. We were able to very easily find a great practice. And I have heard from many people where, you know, they, whether it's an adult or a child where they've gone to a therapist or they've gone to a doctor and have heard things like what you've said, Linda, and what you need to do in that case is go someplace else. And Mm -hmm. it's terrible that it's not there, but this is also an opportunity for us to educate the medical community and just say, I can understand why that would seem that way to you and it has been the case in the past. However, our kids are having this and you know, maybe stick a couple of statistics in your pocket if you're a numbers person or just say, I know my child and I know they're having these problems and if you feel this isn't really a problem, then we need to go somewhere else or don't say anything. Just make another appointment someplace else. You know, if you're like, oh, my gosh, that's confrontational. Fine. Don't do it. Just don't make another appointment there. Go someplace else until you find a doctor your child's comfortable with. And that's part of it, too. My daughter went to see a counselor up at college when we were in the early stages of, you know, we knew she was having anxiety issues. Mm-hmm. So went talk to the school counselor. Well, she wasn't ready to talk fully and she just didn't feel he was the right person. So she didn't open up to him right? and didn't tell right. him the extent of what's happening. Right. So we found a therapist here that she loves, that she's very comfortable with and she will tell her everything. So, you know, you need, unfortunately you need to search and that's one of the things that can be a challenge, but mm-hmm. I just want to remind parents you're up for the challenge. You can do it. Amen. I, this brings up another point. What do you do when you have seen the warning signs? You take your child to the counselor. As you said, someone wouldn't open up to others. What do you do with that sullen child if they're not open to a second or third, uh, I'll call it a, a fit interview with the psychologist or therapist? Unfortunately, you cannot force anybody to open up. This actually circles right back around to the conversation that we've had around helicoptering and communication. And it is one of the most difficult aspects Mm -hmm. of loving someone or parenting someone who is dealing with any type of mental issues, mental disorders, emotional pain Mm -hmm. is you cannot force them. So rather than trying to force Fall back to, I love you, I'm here for you, non-judgmental, open communication. And you can share with them. So, you know, I, I understand this is not fun to do. And I love you and I'm worried because I can't give you what you need. You know, I've explained that to my kids. I'm, I'm in a situation where like, I feel terrible as a mother that I cannot give you the thing you need. I need to ask someone else to give that to you. Will you talk to this person and let's see if they're the person who can give it to you? Sandy, I think you have a great balance of what what a teen actually is. These young adults are not children and they're not full adults. And so they're in that space where it can be, I think, confusing to parents. And this is why Linda and I spoke to the helicoptering because you've been doing it and then they get to this space 
um, where, you know, they, you know, parents don't know how to communicate necessarily and that, you know, teens need these, um, these different interventions and they need the non-judgment and the loving kindness, I think, to express. And I, I am also uh, by trade, um, a researcher, Sandy. So I actually, when, when we talk about teens and sleep, and I've told a couple of my friends who have teenagers, teens, when they sleep for nine, 10 hours, it's because they need it. I mean, I know the yes. stats say, you know, six, seven. I'm like, no, they need Mm-mm. more. They need more oh, than adults. Yeah. And if they're not getting sleep because their their high school makes them get up at uh, five and then they have to go to school at five thirty or six, which is happening, and and then they have all this homework. How do you think some of the societal um, pressures? Because I don't think it's parents or families a lot of time, but I just think it's how things are set up now um, that force you know, maybe force the hand of a parent who's helicoptering or force children to really try to rise to this level of perfection. And it's kind of ingrained in our society. What what do you say about that? I totally agree, Pamela. I think it's very ingrained in our society. My husband and I, uh, we got to the point where we were telling our kids literally, you do not have to go to college. We do not want you to, you know, we did not encourage them to try to get all A's in school and things like that. We were actually pushing the other direction because there was so much pressure on them from every place else. It was unreal to me how much pressure there is. There is so much pressure that Harvard started something called Turn the Tide, where they're trying to get colleges to change the admissions process to take pressure off of our high school kids. Wow. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. It is. And that's why I say as parents, the most important thing we can do is, you said, connection, communication, belonging. You as a parent, the family home, non-judgmentally, that's the first place it needs to happen. And that means us learning new skills. I know we're going to, it feels like we got to be coming up on commercial break, so I'm just going to shove this out there quickly. If you have a child who is stressed or in crisis, you most likely need to learn new skills. I am learning every day how to communicate differently and function differently with my family based on what I've seen of working with my daughter. I'm like, obviously, there are some things that I need to do differently. So it's not just the child. It's the family. And that could be another way to get a child to go to some counseling and therapies. If they don't want to do it themselves, get some family counseling. Take the whole family because you probably all need it. Excellent point. And and I think it will continue after the break. We're going to take a short break. After these short messages, we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smart strategies and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. It's merging. 
traditional American breakfast, including fried egg, bacon, toast, and potatoes, must seem really heavy to the rest of the world. When my husband and I were in the Amazon, our breakfast consisted of crocodile, deep-fried piranha, and bananas. I can assure you, I ate pretty lightly. For breakfast in Russia, some people enjoy a spoonful of jam in their tea. Now, that sounds yummy. What's a word for a person who loves jam? A paziwala. What's another word for weak tea? Whack rowdy dow. Salamagundi was originally an English dish of chopped meat, anchovies, and eggs, garnished with onions, lemon juice, oil, and condiments. Mornings at our house are too hectic to go to all that trouble for breakfast. I'm scrambling just to get some eggs on the table. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. I think at this point, it's really important we're flying through the time. Sandy, could you talk to us about what are some of the warning signs that parents can take a look for? Yeah, we've mentioned that a number of times, haven't we, Linda? We kept saying Mm -hmm. the warning signs, the warning signs, right? Right. Now let's actually hear them. Right. And here's what's interesting. Two pieces to this. One is whenever I heard about warning signs for suicide, it were, there were these late stage warning signs. It's like mm-hmm. somebody taking their life is imminent. And what we do in our work is we talk about warning signs that you can see earlier and that apply to depression, addiction, and suicide. And when we say addiction, as I mentioned briefly before, we're talking about you know, bulimia and anorexia, food addictions, thrill-seeking behaviors, um, as well as prescription drug. You know, all of these things are addictions. Internet, reading, you know, we, we've had that issue. Um, so anyhow, when we, what we talk about is there are lots of things you can do, but the one bottom line, because we all need as parents just one thing to do, right? Is I don't want 10 more things because it'll overwhelm me and then I'll be helicoptering. <laughs> So the most important thing to do when you're watching your child for warning signs is to look for something different. Mm-hmm. If they are an artist and their artwork from the minute they were born was always done in dark blues and grays and that's just the way they do it, that's one thing. But if they're drawing you know, landscapes or unicorns or you know, simple topics, and then it starts to change. That's something to be aware of. I know a family where the, a teacher told the mothers, like, you need to get your daughter help, a middle school child. And it was based on the girl's artwork. She was an mm. artist. And so, you know, and the parents looked at it and went, well, she's an artist. You know, artists do all kinds of things. This is just what she's doing. So something different. If they were always a slob, and suddenly they're a neatnik, that could be a warning sign that something's going on. If they were a great student in the grade slide or they don't care about school anymore, that's a warning sign. And the same is in reverse. If they were not a good student and all of a sudden they are totally focused on school, anything that's different from what it was before. And, that, and I'm not saying that when something changes, boom, your kid has an issue. I'm just saying that that's a time to now become more aware to perhaps be, you know, up the conversation or to ask directly 
are you feeling depressed? And again, go back to those, when you feel stressed out, what do you do? And find out if they have healthy ways of dealing with it, because if they don't, then that's, again, another indication that they either are or are likely to start turning to other things or to just become hopeless. And that's when our kids start turning to suicide is when they want to get rid of the pain that they're feeling and they have no idea how else to do it. They're hopeless. I have a question for you about another pervasive problem these days, and that's bullying. Do you find that much of the discussions that parents have center around isolated things like bullying, or is that a lesser uh, stressor? I can't tell you the percentage of kids that experience bullying, but what I can tell you is kids who are bullied are at a very high risk for having other issues, depression, addiction, suicide. The interesting thing is, so is the bully. Mm -hmm. So when we see these situations, again, as parents, I think maybe we can approach them differently. Rather than helicoptering and hovering and going into the school and going, my kid's being bullied, you need to stop it. It might be a time to go into the school and say, hey, it's come to my attention that, you know, my kid's being bullied. I'd like the parents of the bully and us to try to work together and to see what's going on with these kids and what we can do about it. Because I've heard that both the bully and the child being bullied can have other issues going on, and we'd like to get them all the help they need. Wow, that's very enlightened. Do you feel that there are many parents who would be willing to do that, or is it more of an adversarial relationship with the bully and the bullying? I think that almost every parent's initial reaction is very adversarial. So here's my tip. You don't have to do this for the other child. You don't have to do it for anybody but your child. If you can help that bully get better, they'll stop bullying your child. So this Mm -hmm. is your way of solving your child's bullying problem. Very valid point. Really sharp. I'm glad that you said that. We talked earlier about getting in front of the problem so it doesn't get to a crisis situation. And what do you mean by that and how do you do it and how would you advise our listeners to do it? Yeah, and the interesting thing, Linda, is we've actually been talking about it throughout the The show. The whole time. (laughs) Exactly, because this is what is important. Again, we don't want to wait until there are these warning signs of somebody thinking about suicide. What mm-hmm. we want is to get in front of it. And, and Judy and Jeffrey and I talk about that because there is this entire continuum from a kid who is showing no issues, no signs of, of having any kind of problems at all up through someone who has suicide ideation. And uh, we were at University of Michigan. Uh, the event was actually organized by Delta Gamma Sorority. And we had kids, you know, a variety of kids there, but we had a large cluster of women. And Judy and I were in college together. In fact, we were in a sorority together. And Judy shared the story about how, what did we do when we got stressed out? Everybody gather in the kitchen. You grab your ice cream, your favorite food of choice. Some people grab a drink and y- you-, you complain about whatever's happening. None of that is a healthy coping strategy. And I had never thought of doing that before I went to college. So there is this, this thing from the kid who's never had a problem up to someone who's suicidal. And granted, the level of intervention is different. Obviously, a child who is experiencing 
uh, in addiction or suicide ideation needs fast intervention. But they all need to learn about coping strategies. And we all need to learn about warning signs because the kid who hasn't had a lot of issues before could start to have them when they move, you know, when the family moves, when mom or dad gets a promotion, when mom or dad gets deployed. When any of these things happen, that could be a trigger. So we need to be aware of the warning signs, opening those lines of communication, and teaching them healthy coping strategies. And that's what we do to get in front of the problem. We connect with kids on all different levels. Like I said, you know, we had this group of kids at this, that were from um, U of M, and some of them were connecting with us on this, you know, real early stage level. And some of, this, some of them were connecting with us about friends who they have who they're worried about because mm-hmm. they're anorexic or bulimic. But the, the bottom line is the same. You intervene at an appropriate level, you know, either an emergency call 911 now, get professional help, or start learning healthy coping skills. But no matter which level you intervene on, you're going to start learning healthy coping skills. You bring up a wonderful point about the fact that you had teens talking to one another. And I think that always when you have peers helping peers, you're bringing people with like common problems together. And if you've got the right education to do it, um, talking about this is a good way to do it. Do you find that having Jeffrey and Emma as part of your discussions makes it real? And it's not just a story that you're telling that it really is real, it really is okay, and talking about it does make it better. It's essential. It is absolutely essential because what happens is the audience is listening, you know, the teens and young adults in the audience, mm-hmm. and they're connecting mm-hmm. with these other teens and young adults. And it also opens the parents' eyes because what we'll hear is, you know, like I, you know, if I'm sitting in the audience while they're speaking, I'll hear the other adults going, I would never expect it from those kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't fit the stereotype. Mm-hmm. When you look at them, when you listen to them speaking, you don't expect it. So, yes, I think it's absolutely essential. And for some of our talks, they are absolutely, you know, they're 90% of it. You know, it's them sharing their stories and connecting. And then for the professional help, the, the organization that we're with, they're providing services. Every college, every military installation, you know, every community has professional resources around. We are just the bridge to connect with the kids to go, hey, it's okay. You're not alone. And there's hope. And then we direct them to the place and and help them get there. I would rather call you the catalyst. I think sometimes you make it okay for people to ask the questions. Let's let our listeners know where they can find out more help. First of all, what is the URL of your organization? And then our website uh, is, I'm sorry, Linda, I couldn't, I didn't realize. I was going to give you a two part question. (laughs) We'll just, we'll just do a one part question, right? Your website, how to get in touch with you. So our website is dasium.net. So that's D is in dog, D-A-S-I-U-M.net. And of course, our contact information is there. So you can contact us directly as well as get more information. There are resources for parents and teens there on the site. And to give you a little mnemonic for remembering Dasium, it's depression, addiction, suicide. 
And those three letters, if you have typed in and looked at the website, it will pop up right away. Um, I think it's also important for people to know how to reach you all personally. Are your contact numbers or an email on the Dacium site? Yes, there is a phone number as well as email address. And, you know, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to connect us to leaders at your installation, you're cutting in and out. I think you meant to say at the installation. Or your church or your school. We found that. Sorry. Yes. If, if you want to connect with your leaders, we found that's the easiest way for us to get in to help a large group. And if you make that connection, it's just a lot smoother. Well, it, it makes perfectly good sense. Is there anything else that we have not touched upon that you would like to discuss? Uh, we have about another minute left. All I want to say is that. It's a scary topic, but (laughs) even if you find yourself here, you find yourself facing it, you're not alone. There are lots of other people out there who have experienced it and who are willing to help you. And the sooner that you see something and start handling it and dealing with it, the easier it will be in the long run to help your, your loved one find relief and for yourself too. Absolutely. We want to thank you so much for being on the program today. I think we all know that we live in tumultuous times, and so often we're thinking so much about what's going on in our world on a logistics level, but going to the emotional level and connecting with our family members and even our children's friends is extremely important for early warning on a lot of this. If you want more information, you go to dasium, D-A-S-I-U-M dot net, and Thank you, Sandy, for being on. And obviously, we adore having on Judy and Jeffrey as well, which we have on a previous program. Thank you for your information, your wisdom, and your openness to sharing a difficult topic. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We will be back next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.dogiinet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your